morning, everybody. How's it going today? I'm good. Thanks for asking. It's a great day. How could you not be great today? It's fantastic. Yeah, good. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. We are talking these days about um, who God is. And you go, well, it's church. Of course you're talking about who God is. That's what churches do. That's true, but we're trying to go in a certain direction and try and grasp certain things about God that are sometimes hard for us to get. So we're in a series called God 3.0, and specifically we're talking about God's Holy Spirit, what is often re- who is often referred to as God the Holy Spirit. And uh, so if you're a guest with us today, and maybe you're just starting to think through who Jesus is and this whole Christianity thing or the whole church thing or whatever, and you're just getting started, we're going to talk about some stuff, frankly, that... that you may just go, I don't get any of it. And I would just ask you to be patient because there are some certain things that Christ followers believe that sometimes we just got we, we go, we got to talk about this, we got to understand this so it moves us forward. And sometimes those things are hard to grasp. And so if you're just brand new at this journey, be patient. I'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in ways I think that everyone can grasp it, but just a little disclaimer up front just in case, all right? And some of you have been following Christ for a while and you're like, it's still hard for me to understand. So yeah. I'm with you on that. There's some of these things that are challenging for all of us to grasp, and yet they are true about who our God is, so we want to we get into this. And I want you, especially those of you who are already followers of Jesus, I want you to grasp in your life the power and the presence and the reality of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I really want that for you, so that's what we're talking about these days. So just to kind of put this all in perspective and to go back and review a little bit, put some background on the whole thing, we're calling this series God 3.0, and it seems to me that we often come to God and we have this understanding from the scriptures about there is God the Father and there's God the Son and there's God the Holy Spirit. And theologians over the centuries have called that idea the Trinity. That's not a biblical word. It's not unbiblical. It's just that word's not found in the Bible. But it expresses something that is found in the Bible, that God is one being who exists in three persons. Are you still with me? Sure. You go, oh, sure, I get the concept. I know, but my, my brain just goes, you know, when I get all that stuff in there together. So often what happens, I think, for Christ followers is we sort of, we sort of treat God like he is God 2.0 because it's hard to grasp all of this stuff that's about him. So we think of God the Father, maybe God 1.0. We no, kind of know his role. It was to create the world, and now he sustains the world. And then there's Jesus, who we look at maybe as God 2.0. We go, well, Jesus came to rescue us from sin, to save us, to be our redeemer. We go, we sort of get that part. So there's God 2.0, but then there's this third person, the, the Spirit of God, and we sometimes don't know what to do with Him. And maybe you could say, well, God 3.0, but, but, but I don't know what to do with Him, so I'm just going to live with God 2.0. You know, I'll live with the Father and the Son, but the Spirit, I don't really know what to do with Him. So sometimes we, didn't, we just sort of leave Him out. And I think it's interesting that God, when He created the universe, I think it's fascinating that He built certain things into creation that can help us understand his heart. We, we call them metaphors, right? They help us understand God's heart. So we talked a couple weeks ago about the idea that there's this thing called H2O, and H2O appears in nature in three different forms, right? What are the forms that H2O shows up in? Water and ice and steam. And what's fascinating is sometimes under the right conditions, H2O can appear as water and ice and steam all at the same place at the same time. And in fact, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit can show up at the same place at the same time. We saw that specifically at Jesus' baptism. 
Father showed up, the Spirit showed up, Jesus showed up. The Trinity was right there at Jesus' baptism. That, that just helps me get that and figure that out a little bit. Now last week, we went to the next step of this, which is to understand the mission of the Holy Spirit. So we looked at John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, and I'll just refresh your memory on this. Um, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus said, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And we said that's the primary mission of the Holy Spirit. He will glorify Jesus. And so when you get that down, you're like, oh, I get it. I know what the Holy Spirit does. He glorifies Jesus, which is all stunning and wonderful until you realize you don't really know what glorify means. Because we never use that word. It's one of those churchy spiritual words we don't really put into our vocabulary. So we described that a little bit last week and said to glorify something means to make something that is invisible visible. Or to display some things or someone's character. So when you glorify someone, you're making their character bigger. You're, it's like you're magnifying their character. You're letting them be seen. And that's the primary mission of the Holy Spirit. He is helping Jesus to be seen. So I told you last week, I, I've learned to become a label reader because I found out I was becoming lactose intolerant. So I read boxes now. And someone felt bad for me last week because they found out I'm not going to be able to have peppermint ice cream, which is my favorite food group <laughs> in the whole world. And they found out I wasn't going to be able to do that this year for Christmas. And so they, they got together and they... they got a whole big gift bag and they put it full of peppermint stuff like peppermint pretzels and peppermint bark and peppermint toothpaste and which was nasty but all, you know the rest of it was really good and um so they gave me this this thing and I, i'm like well i'm reading labels so i just want to find out if there's dairy products in there you know so i got this peppermint the box of peppermint tea do you know what's in peppermint tea peppermint that's it it's all that's in there but when you read the label the label tells you on the outside of the box what is actually coming inside of the box. That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. When the Holy Spirit is in your life, the Spirit is letting other people know what's inside the box. Jesus Christ is in my life. I trust Him. I trust Him. I have trusted Him. I love Him. I seek to follow Him. Jesus Christ is in my life. The Spirit in my life lets people know what's inside the box. It's the Spirit in my life that lets me live a life that looks like Jesus' life. And that's the mission of the Spirit, to make Jesus more visible, to make Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to make his character known. And that brings us where, to where we are going to land today, and that's this. The mission of the Spirit is in trouble. The mission of the Spirit of God is in jeopardy in this world. And you, you could say, well, how can that be? It's the mission of God. How can God's mission ever be in trouble? God's going to do what God's going to do. Well, here's the deal. The mission of the Spirit is to make Jesus visible, but Jesus is invisible. How do you make something which is invisible visible? How do you go about that process? Jesus is no longer here. We've talked about the idea that Jesus, when he was on earth, he was known as Emmanuel, God with us. But God's no longer with us. Jesus is no longer with us. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. And then he ascended into heaven. We believe now that Jesus sits next to the Father and he prays for us. 
when you're struggling and wrestling with temptation and challenges and obstacles and all those things, Jesus is praying for you. But he's not doing it from here. You can't go to Rayleigh's and bump into Jesus. And so the mission of the Spirit is in jeopardy because Jesus is invisible. And so how do you take that which is invisible and make it visible? And that's where Scripture comes in. So today I want you to pull out your Bibles, and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the chair next to you. You can reach over and use one of those. If you don't have, if if someone else grabbed that already, uh, you can pull out your smartphone. There's Bible apps on there. You can pull out your iPad. There's Bible apps on there. If you brought your laptop in, you can read your Bible on your laptop. I don't, you know. If you brought your desktop, I don't care, pull out a Bible. Okay, let's find out what this says. Let's see what, it, let's see what it talks about. Okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church in a town called Corinth. And here's what he wants to say to them about his mission. Paul says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, let's just stop there and think about that. Paul's saying, look, the Spirit's role in this world is to steer people toward Jesus. And he says, you guys, before you came to Christ, you were following after these idols, and they didn't have any power. They couldn't speak. They couldn't do anything. It was kind of weird that you followed them, but now you've come to Christ. And he says, look, if you are the kind of person who says, I believe Jesus is Lord, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is in your life. Nobody says, Jesus is Lord. From the heart, I mean, you could fake it, right? But nobody says Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit of God is in them. That's a Spirit of God issue. And so he says, now you can identify yourself. I love Jesus. I believe Jesus is Lord. That's evidence that the Spirit of God is in my life. He says, now, the Spirit has given every Jesus is Lord person, the Spirit has given every Christ-following person gifts. He says there, there are different kinds of gifts. There, there are, they're all from the Spirit. There's different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit that gives them. There's, there's different ways that God works, but it's the same God that works it out in us. And the Spirit of God gives to those who say Jesus is Lord. He gives us gifts. And the reason is because he wants to enlist us in his mission. He's like, I'm on a mission to make Jesus visible to this world, but he's invisible. How am I going to get there? In fact, the next problem is the Holy Spirit himself is invisible. I mean, when was the last time you saw a spirit? Good. Because you're going to freak me out if you said, oh, last Tuesday. You don't see spirits. You can't see them. That's the whole nature of them. So the spirit's invisible. He's trying to make Jesus, who is invisible, visible. How are you going to do that? He goes, I'm going to enlist Christ followers. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you've been enlisted into the mission of the Holy Spirit. 
and his mission is to make Jesus visible. So he gave you gifts. Or another way to translate that word is graces. I like that better. We sometimes get stuck on spiritual gifts and we get kind of confused and, and kind of down some wrong tracks sometimes. I like the idea is they, of this. They are graces that God gives to us. And sometimes the graces are different from one another. And some of us have the grace of prophesying, of speaking for God. And some of us have the grace of speaking in tongues, in languages people don't know. And some people have the grace of being a mercy giver. And some people have the grace of being really generous and have the gift of giving or the grace of giving. We have all these graces that God puts into us and he gives us different ones depending on who we are and what his mission needs. You don't have these graces for your own benefit. You don't have these spiritual gifts for your own benefit. You have these gifts or these graces for the benefit of others so that when people look at us, they see Jesus. When people rub elbows with us, they see Jesus. That's why we've been given these spiritual graces that Paul talks about. It's because the Spirit wants us to be involved in the mission with him. And so the mission ends up rolling out like this. Jesus is glorified when those who know him show him. Or Jesus is made visible when we who know him show him. Or Jesus shows up when we who know him show him. It's like, it's like the mission is on us. We get to join in that with the Spirit of God. When we who know Jesus show Jesus in our lives through the gifts that God has put into our lives, then Jesus is glorified. How amazing is that? That Jesus trusts you with his reputation? That he trusts us with his reputation, with his character, with his mission? He trusts us for that. And so Jesus shows up when we who know him show him. Now, how do you do, how do, you do that? How do you show him off then? Well, to start, let's exercise the gifts he's given to us. If your gift is speaking for God, you should use that gift. If your gift is leading, you should use that gift to lead people with all diligence. If your gift is generosity, you should use that gift with all diligence. If your gift is serving others, coming alongside to help people, if that's your gift, you should use that with every bit of passion and faith you have. Every time you use that gift, you are displaying Jesus to the people around you. Now, one of the challenges comes that we don't always know what our gift is. Like, I don't know. What's my gift, Pastor Brad? Yours seems to be standing up there talking at people, to people. Or however you want to say You know, it's like, okay, well, that's it. A gift. It's a gift. And, what, you know, what's my gift? We go, what's my gift? How do I find out? Here's the, here's the surest way to find your gift. Begin serving. Begin serving. The Spirit has already given you a gift or a grace or graces. He wants you to use that with others. There are lists of these graces in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, which we're reading. Uh, there's lists in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. It lists these gifts. Now, maybe there's more than what are listed in those places. None of those lists seems to be exhaustive. But the Spirit of God has put a gift or a grace into your life. Use it. Well, how are you going to use it? Start serving somewhere. 
I believe primarily the gifts are fairly self-discoverable. When you begin to serve, your gift will bubble up to the top. Your gift will bubble up to the surface. You'll figure it out. So you go, you go and you say, I'm, I'm going to volunteer somewhere. I'm going to serve somewhere. I know I'm going to serve in the two-year-old class. I don't have to teach. I don't have to know very much. I'll just go in there and hold babies and think, you know. And uh, you'll, you'll find out pretty quickly if that's your gift or not. Because we don't like it when people go in our nursery and drop children on their head. We'll tell you, you know what, sir, this is not your gift. By the way, you guys who are in the, you know, sections four and five over here, the kind of the children crowds, like we don't let that happen. It won't happen. You start serving in a place, you go, oh, that's not my gift. You go, oh, I, oh, I think my gift is teaching. I think I'd like to teach. So you say, I'm going to teach fifth graders. Oh, awesome. So we put you in a fifth grade class. We give you some training with somebody else. And after a while, maybe it's your turn. You get to teach. And then you, you, you go, that just didn't go so well. And maybe you've got to learn how to exercise that gift and develop it and grow in it. And that's all fine. But maybe after a while, you just go, no, teaching's just not my gift. And then you find out that every time there's someone with a need, you, you show up. Or you hear anybody who's got a hurt, broken heart, some pain, you show up. Why? Maybe it's because you have a gift of mercy. And every Christ follower should be practicing mercy. Blessed are the merciful. But not everybody has a gift of mercy. And maybe you do. And because you serve, it begins to bubble up and show up. Best way to get started finding your gift is to get started serving. Christmas Eve is a great opportunity. I know it sounds like a little bit like a commercial. You know, like, hey, come and serve at Christmas Eve. It'll help you find your gift. <laughs> it will. It will. I mean, that's, just, that's how it goes. Okay, yeah, you think it's a little self-serving. Some of you think that every time we make an announcement, it's like, we need servers for this or volunteers for that. You're like, oh, it's just self-serving. It's like, well, sure, it helps the ministries and the programs of the church to go forward, but it's not primarily about us. You benefit when you serve because your gift comes out. And now you're involved in the mission that the Holy Spirit is on to make Jesus Christ visible. And you sit in a chair for your whole Christian life, and you never get out and serve, and you never exercise that gift that God has given to you, the mission stumbles. So get started. Christmas is a great opportunity. You got those, you got those forms to fill out, great opportunities. Just say, hey, I want to get started. Help me out. We'll help you out. Let me also give you a save the date moment for this. There's a workshop coming up in February. I know it's a little ways out still, but in February we're going to have a workshop called the Shape Workshop. It's designed to help you figure out how God has shaped you. Shape is an acrostic for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. And we believe God has shaped each of you, each of us, in a unique way. And part of that includes our spiritual gifts. And maybe you just want to put that on a note on your calendar. February 8th, let's, let's get involved in that Shape workshop. It'll help you say, this is my gift, or these are my graces that God has given to us, to me. Spiritual gifts, they allow us to be involved in the mission of the Spirit of God so that the mission is not in jeopardy. And yet, when you come to those spiritual gifts and you come to the stories about them in the Scripture, you find out that sometimes the spiritual gifts also get in the way of the mission because sometimes we get so excited about our gift that we sort of think our gift is the best. Like I sort of got a hotshot gift and you don't. 
I mean, well, I'm like, really, because how cool is it to be able to, to prophesy? If you had the gift of prophecy, which the Bible describes as being able to speak for God, would that be an amazing thing? And so if you're a prophet, like, I get to speak for God. And maybe get to stand up in front of a big crowd. And it's like, wow, God lets me speak to all these people. And you go, I'm pretty amazing. That's why he gave me this gift. Which, to which I think God goes, you're not that amazing, Bubba. I didn't give it to you for that reason. Or sometimes you get the gift of prophecy and you go to people and you go, guess what? I have the gift of prophecy. I have a word for God, from God for you. And then they tell you something, you're like, that doesn't sound like it came from God at all. But they're telling you that it came from God and now you don't know what to do. And so sometimes you're like, I got the gift of prophecy. Look at that. Or sometimes we say, I got the gift of speaking in tongues. I can speak in languages that nobody else knows. It's beautiful and it's just God and me, God and me, just our onesies. That's all there is. And we sort of set ourselves up like I got the coolest gift. Somebody else comes along and goes, yeah, but that's all right. But I got the gift of generosity. To which the prophet says to him, well, good, why don't you pay for lunch then? (laughs) And we like strut around. It's like, my gift's better than your gift. My gift's better than yours. Neener, neener. Which is all very interesting because the gifts are designed to make Jesus visible. And that is anything but making Jesus visible. The gifts that God's spirit gives to the church are dangerous because if the gifts are misapplied, they will disintegrate the church. They will disunify the church. They can destroy the church. That's what was happening in Corinth. There was such animosity among the Corinthian Christians because they were fighting over whose gift was cooler. That they weren't accomplishing the mission that the Holy Spirit laid out for them. And the church was stumbling because of it. So Paul writes to them. In fact, he spends three chapters of the Bible just writing to correct their abuse of spiritual gifts. And he comes to the end of chapter 12 where he lays out the problem to them and how snarky they were being toward one another because of their pride in their gifts. And he comes to the end of chapter 12 and he makes this statement. Verse 31. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, which is in fact what they were doing. In fact, one trans, another way to translate this is to say, but you are eagerly desiring the greater gifts. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we are. We want the best ones. And then Paul says this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. He says, you guys, there's a better way to do this. You don't have to fight and claw to get the best gift, the coolest gift. To get promoted like that, he says there's a better way to do this. And he writes for us what has become one of the clearest, most compelling, most beautiful statements about the description of love in all of literature. We usually know it now as the love chapter. You hear it at weddings all the time. But it was not written for wedding ceremonies. It's beautiful in them. That's not why it was written. It was written because the church couldn't get a grip on using their spiritual gifts in a loving way. So in order for us to be on the mission with Christ, let's just stop for a minute and hear this. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to close it, actually, or shut it off. And just listen and think about the mission of Christ's church, which is us. Making Christ visible to the world through the gifts he's given to us by this 
pattern. Paul says, you know, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith. Hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. The reason that passage was written, the reason that song or that poetry was written, was because the Christ followers couldn't get along in the exercise of their gifts. And they were destroying the mission of Christ by means of the good gifts. God's spirit had given. So Paul said, can we just back the truck up a little bit? Can we just practice this? Can we just love one another? In all that love looks like, in all that love can be described as, can we just love one another? And then when you exercise your gift, it will be exercised well. That's the purpose. That was the intent of writing 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's interesting because it's really, it's the long version of another passage that's pretty familiar to many of you. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, there's this little statement that says this. Again, written by the Apostle Paul. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's the classic description of the fruit of the Spirit. So, you have the gifts of the Spirit, and you have the fruit of the Spirit. And he said the fruit of the Spirit's really clear. It's just, it's just nine things, and there's probably other things he didn't include there, but here's a list of nine things, and he says these things are all highly desirable, and they all reflect Christ. 
I mean, which, which one of you would not like to be more loving? Which one of you would, like, would not like to have more joy in your life? Which one of us doesn't need to be any more patient? They're all highly desirable traits, and they all reflect who Jesus is. They all display who Jesus is. And they're really just a condensed version of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You see the same character in both those passages. Let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit for a moment. You all know what fruit is? Or are you carnivores? I mean, you know, you know fruit, fruit, fruit just gr- it's something that grows on a vine or a tree. It's how a tree produces, if it's healthy, it produces fruit of a certain kind, of a specific kind. One tree, always the same kind of fruit from that tree. It's a product. Fruit is a product. So when he's saying, I want the fruit of the Spirit to come out of your life, he's saying, I want there to be a product of your life. If your life is deeply rooted in the Holy Spirit, some product that looks like Jesus will grow from you. And your life will look more and more like it is filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and on and on. Now, there's some interesting distinctions between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. They are both given so that those who know Jesus can show Jesus to the world. But they're different from one another. For example, the gifts of the Spirit are always referred to in the plural form. The fruit of the Spirit is referred to in the singular form. It's fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. You can't say, I'd like that one, but not this one. I like bananas, but not oranges. Thank you. No, it's fruit of the Spirit. It all comes together into your life. The gifts of the Spirit are plural. And when you look at that, you understand that, the, that no one believer, no one Christ follower gets every gift. There is not one supremely gifted person among us. There is no one person who gets every gift. And there is no one gift that every Christian gets. They are plural and they're given as the Spirit of God desires to give them. But every Christ follower can have all of the fruit. And that's God's desire for us. The gifts represent activity. The fruit represents character. The gifts promote diversity, but don't guarantee unity. Fruit of the Spirit promotes unity but doesn't mitigate against diversity. The gifts exercised without the fruit of the Spirit lead to disintegration in the church and to harm. It's not that the gifts are bad. It's that the gifts are just not enough by themselves. The gifts of the Spirit always must be exercised under the influence of the fruit of the Spirit so that the gifts of the Spirit actually get to show up who Jesus is. Gifts, interestingly, can be counterfeited. You can counterfeit being a prophet of God. All you got to do is take speech classes and read the Bible a little bit and put out a sign and say, we're going to have God talk here. There have been churches that have been founded by false prophets. There have been religious movements that have been founded by false prophets because it's easy to counterfeit that. It's It's easy to counterfeit speaking in tongues. I've come across advertisements for classes on how to speak in tongues, which seems odd to me if it's a gift. 
all the spiritual gifts can be counterfeited, but the fruit of the Spirit is very difficult to counterfeit. Do you know what kind of tree this came from? I'm not trying to trick you. I know, I know you think I'm trying to trick you. I'm not. What kind of tree did this come from? Lemon. lemon tree. You're so smart. How did you know that? Did you study a lot to figure that out? No. You just know that every lemon tree only produces lemons. There's never in the history of the planet been a lemon tree that bear, that bared, mm-hmm, that produced apples. Lemon trees don't produce apples ever. Orange trees don't grow bananas ever. Lemon trees produce lemons because trees have an intrinsic integrity. The fruit of the Spirit has an intrinsic integrity. When you are deeply rooted in God's Spirit, there's something that grows in your life. It looks like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And it always looks the same. And it looks the same across all the believers in Christ in the world. Because all of us are being developed, in, in all of us is being developed the fruit of God's Spirit. If our roots are sunk down deep into Him, if we are planted in Him, if we are filled with Him, certain fruit grows. And it's always the same fruit. And when that fruit is developed in one of our lives, in all of our lives, then every time we use the gifts or exercise the gifts or the graces that God has given to us, then we accomplish the mission. Because Jesus shows up when we who know him show him. Be planted in God's Holy Spirit. Now, you're like, well, how do I do that? And I'm like, I'm out of time. Here's the deal. Next week, we're going to talk about being sealed with God's Spirit. And the week after that, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be planted in God's Spirit. Let me just give you one heads up on that journey. We talked, I think it was a week ago, we talked about this idea that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to encourage the people of God. And so maybe you don't have yet in your life, maybe you're new to this or you've just gotten out of the habit or something, but maybe in your life you don't have a habit of taking Scripture into your soul. Maybe the only time you hear the Bible is on Sunday mornings when you show up at church. God bless you for showing up and hearing it. But what if you were to take the next step of that and say, I'm going to let God's Word get planted in my heart, and you just went on a two-week journey from now till two weeks from now when we, when we come back to this topic you just went on a two-week journey to plant yourself into Scripture and to plant Scripture into your heart. And maybe the Spirit begins to develop in your life and grow in your life, and maybe He begins to develop His fruit in your life because you're deeply planted in Him. It begins with the Scriptures. You can start there today. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank You for Your goodness to us. You are an amazing God, and you've given us your spirit, and we're so grateful for that. And Lord, my request today is that you would be developing in us the fruit of your spirit, 
that every one of us would be growing more loving, more filled with joy, more patient, more gentle, more kind, having more self-control, not because we were good at it, but because your spirit is good at it. And as those things are developed in our lives, Lord, I pray that the mission would be accomplished, that people would see Jesus through us and that this world would be transformed through us. Lord, starting from within your church here at Lakeside and then moving out from there, may Jesus Christ be clearly seen through us. Lord, together we love you, we honor you, we worship you for all that you are and all that you're doing among us. Thank you. Amen.